Welcome to Lunch and Unlearn. In today's episode, Bree and I continue our series on love and other good news by furthering our discussion of legacy. Today, we reflect on the lives of John Lewis and Chadwick Boseman and the impact of creating good trouble. We will also share with you our featured follow, a short film that is sure to bring a smile to your face. And finally, we will leave you with a challenge for the week ahead. Let's grab some lunch and get ready to unlearn together. In the midst of a pandemic, a black revolution and a white awakening are happening. Diversity, equity, and inclusion educators, Brianna Clover and Dr. Jessica Petty create brave spaces for candid conversations on race equity, focusing specifically on its intersection with ableism, sexism, sexual orientation, and gender identity, all from the unique perspective of a black woman and a white woman. I'm Dr. Jessica Petty. And I'm Brianna Clover. Bree, I'm incredibly excited to continue our series on love and other good news by continuing to talk about legacy. And it was so enjoyable to talk about RBG last week, and it really got both of our wheels turning about who are other people that we've lost this year. So today, let's take a look back at the incredible lives of John Lewis and Chadwick Boseman and reflect on their impact and their legacies and what it means to create good trouble. Yes, some well-placed good trouble can certainly count as good news. I agree, Jess. I think this is a great opportunity to highlight the work and legacy of these two men. And through their stories, we can appreciate the myriad of ways advocacy shows up in our lives. And I love how in our last episode, Jess, that you expanded on the definition of legacy as sharing what you have learned and bequeathing values over valuables. Mm -hmm. And I think 2020 has, all of us could probably agree, has been a season of tremendous collective loss for us and really has me reflecting on the determination of John Lewis and the hope given to so many young Black children and Black people in general through the talented work of Chadwick Boseman. You're exactly right. And sometimes advocacy, it's it's this social justice that's like overt and obvious, but other times it, it slips in the room sort of unnoticed. Mm. Um, and I think for, for my generation, especially John Lewis is he's this stalwart icon in the fight for racial Mm. equality and justice. And that legacy is one that I don't think anybody could deny. Absolutely. So I'd love for us to take a moment to honor the lifelong work and legacy of John Lewis. I gave a little blood on that bridge in Selma 53 years ago. I almost died. Some of my friends and colleagues were murdered in Mississippi and other places. I'm not asking any of you to give any blood. I'm just asking you to go and vote like you never voted before. We have to vote. John Lewis put his body on the line for democracy and decency. He was a freedom rider. He spoke and planned the march on Washington in 1963. He was the youngest speaker at the event. John Lewis, inspired by the work of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., left his hometown in Alabama to attend the American Baptist Theological Seminary in Nashville, Tennessee. There, he learned about nonviolent protests and helped to organize sit-ins at segregated lunch counters. He was arrested during those de- these demonstrations, and it's estimated that he was arrested at least 45 times during his lifetime, but he was committed to the civil rights movement. 
John Lewis was severely beaten and suffered from a fractured skull during the march from Selma to Montgomery, led by him and Hosea Williams when they crossed to the other side of the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Lewis was one of the most respected members of Congress, where he called for health care reform, measures to fight poverty, and improvements in education. Most importantly, he oversaw multiple renewals of the Voting Rights Act. In addition to his work in Congress, John Lewis reached out to a younger generation by helping to create a series of graphic novels about his work in the civil rights movement. And you can find these. They're called the March series. John Lewis fought for justice for over six decades by raising what he called good trouble, necessary trouble. Social justice was his lifelong calling, and as a Washington Post written by Peniel E. Joseph, it provides lessons for us activists today on how to confront racial violence, forge productive alliances, and transform American democracy. There is certainly no doubt that the legacy of John Lewis is tethered to care and cause, that his values passed on to us include challenging all the injustice that we see. Mm -hmm. And I would say, like, for me, those things, those values are truly intertwined with the legacy of John Lewis. Yeah. And sometimes legacies are more subtle. Uh, A voice that lives in the arts can sometimes take us on a longer journey where we are slowly learning what defines that person. And I think the power of story to alter and expand narratives is an incredibly powerful tool for advocacy that sometimes we don't fully recognize or celebrate, but I think it can be just as impactful. Yes. And that's beautifully said, Jess. So there's Chadwick Boseman. Taken from this earth at such a young age, but leaving a powerful legacy and a beautiful example of another form of what I would call advocacy. And sadly, Chadwick died on August 28th at his home in the Los Angeles area. He was with his wife, Taylor Simone Ledward, and his family, and they were all by his side. Mm -hmm. He was only 43, and sadly, he was diagnosed with colon cancer four years ago, which his family revealed in a statement, but that was never publicly shared until his death. Mm. I found this really moving tribute from Black Panther filmmaker Ryan Coogler, and he released a very lengthy and emotional tribute to Chadwick Boseman, and his words really hit home with me and just demonstrate how much integrity and wisdom Chadwick had, and maybe so much so that we didn't even couldn't even fully appreciate it. And so I won't read the entire piece, Brie, but I'd like to share just a few excerpts that really stood out to me. So Ryan says about Chadwick, he was a special person. We often speak about heritage and what it means to be African. When preparing for the film Black Panther, he would ponder every decision, every choice, not just for how it would reflect on him, but how these choices would reverberate. Chad deeply valued his privacy, and Ryan says that he wasn't privy to the details of Chadwick's illness until after his family released their statement. So Ryan reflects on the fact that Chad was a caretaker. He was a leader, a man of faith, dignity, and pride. He shielded his collaborators from his suffering, and he lived a beautiful life. He made great art day after day, year after year. That was who he was. He was an epic firework display. And Ryan says that he feels he will tell stories about being there for some of those brilliant sparks till the end of his days. 
And he goes on to say, in African cultures, we often refer to loved ones that have passed on as ancestors. Sometimes you're genetically related and sometimes you're not. And with a heavy heart and a sense of deep gratitude to have ever been in his presence, Ryan says that he has to reckon with the fact that Chad is now an ancestor and he knows that he will watch over us until we meet again. And I just thought that was so beautiful and such for someone that knew him so well, but didn't know of his suffering to have Mm -hmm. that moment of reflection and connect those two things that he didn't even realize were there. I just, I really was impacted by that. And it, it made me see Chadwick Boseman in a completely different way. Likewise, and just what a beautiful tribute in this work that we were doing just to honor both John Lewis and Chadwick. You and I talk a lot about what being a good ally looks like. And one of the pieces of information that we found was that Chadwick took a pay cut on 21 Bridges to ensure that actress Sienna Miller was paid equally. That's amazing. Yes. Like that's, that is what being a good ally looks like. Yes. And what a a beautiful example of his heart and his mark on on the world. Mm -hmm. One other thing that you had mentioned in there um, when you were reading that that tribute was this idea around ancestry and African cultures. It made me think of Black Panther and his work in Black Panther, but also just in general, that being the first high-profile Black Marvel superhero and that... Wakanda was a strong country with the most advanced technology on earth and how that gave hope uh, to so many black people and people of the African diaspora. Wakanda, this fictional black utopia that Black Panther rules as king was the most scientifically and, and technologically advanced and the wealthiest civilization in the world. And it's being so majestic and how that whole story around Wakanda was intentionally the spiritual core of the Black Panther story. And I just wanted to just take a moment to to share that with our listeners um, as a hopeful message for so many of us to see a bountiful, independent Black land. And we see this playing out in reality. We talk a lot about history and learning our history. And it's such an, an amazing journey where I learn something new, I feel like, every time I dive into Google or dive into a book. But um, I encourage our listeners to Google the Haitian Revolution in 1804 as a great example of this idea around building a Black nation that centers Black people and their achievements. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. You got me intrigued. <laughs> so as we as we talked about at the beginning, you know, legacy is so often something that you can clearly see. And then other times it is, it, it lives under the surface. Mm-hmm. And I think for Chadwick Boseman in particular, when I think about him and his legacy, to your point, representation of being a black man or a black community or black history in a light that is strong and positive and authentically true as well, um, is a big part of what I see as his legacy. And we know, I mean, we know that representation is so incredibly important and this applies to so many different areas of diversity and inclusion. So for instance, when a girl sees herself as a scientist or a boy sees someone with his skin color as a law student, it plants a seed in them that that's a possibility for them. Yes. A great example is around archery. 
So after the Hunger Games and the movie Brave, I think it was in like 2012, archery suddenly gained popularity with girls. And it really coincided with those films. And seven out of 10 girls said they took up that sport because they were inspired by these strong female leads in these two movies. I love that. <laughs> I know, isn't that so nice? Yeah. For my entire life, whenever me and my family would see somebody in hijab on TV, we'd all be freaking out because we never ever saw somebody that looked like us on TV. All the uh, media re really represents us with is Raj from Big Bang Theory or Apu from Simpsons. Um, so I think they could probably do a better job with depicting um, Indian people or even like brown women. If you see someone on the screen that looks like you or acts like you, you might be inspired by them to do what they can do or maybe be like them when you grow up. Without that kind of representation or that kind of connection with the character, how are you supposed to know who you are? We all live together and we shouldn't be all left out. So everybody should be included on anything we do. And a really good source to learn more about representation, particularly in media, and to determine if we're making any progress is this annual report from the University of Southern California. And it's really all around their inclusion initiative. And since 2007, they have analyzed the top 100 films each year and looked at gender, race, disability status, LGBTQ status. And while there's been a small amount of progress, it still highlights this incredible lack of diversity and representation that we're seeing in film, which is such an important tool for storytelling and narratives and offering, a, in particular, children sort of a view into what is possible for them in their lives. Yes. And so even today, we see that women only occupy 30% of all speaking roles. Their research has also shown that um, when we think about sexuality, of the more than 4,000 characters in um, 2017 that were in films, only 31, so that is 0.7% mm. were lesbian, gay, or bisexual. And when they were, those roles were predominantly white and male. And then they also found that of the top grossing films, only two and a half percent of all the characters had a disability. And this, of course, also applies to race, where we see a vast underrepresentation, where you've got less than five percent of characters are Asian, a little more than six percent are Hispanic, and around 12 percent are black. So these communities aren't being represented women aren't being represented, mm -hmm. you know, we exclude based on sexual orientation, ability status, and it just continues to be a pervasive issue in media. But it's important because all of those things translate into our greater impact in society. Yeah. And when we talk about data, I think it's also important, especially like you do a lot of work in the faith space and with corporations and things like that. And I know that people are always talking about the numbers and they want to think about how they're bringing more people of color in or promoting more women. But it also matters. What does that look like? Like, what are those positions they're being promoted into? Right. And so even in film, when we talk about women girls and women are more than twice as likely as male characters to be shown in sexually revealing clothing, either partially naked or, you know, just something mm -hmm. that's very like scantily clad. Um, they're often referred to as attractive 
And teenage characters, which are classified as age 13 to 20, are just as likely to be sexualized as adult women. So that's Mm. really disturbing to me. So it's not, we can't just talk about the number of women that are in roles, but how are they being portrayed? And I think that's point. Yeah. I think that's important for us to always talk about when we talk about data. Yeah. But because we're talking about good news, Mm -hmm. after I was a little bit of a downer there, there is good news. So in the major media companies, we are seeing steps being taken to hold themselves accountable. In particular, Warner Media and Netflix have publicly released very granular internal demographic breakdowns offering transparency on how many people of color are on staff and in their upper ranks. And so things like this, these steps needed to be applauded. They need to expand further. And I think as people start to see these numbers and start to understand the impact, we'll, we'll see a greater acceleration. Yes, I love progress. That's what we're looking for here. Um, so thank you for sharing that good news. I think too, as a mother, it makes me think about, you know, my son being exposed to what movies is he seeing or what shows is he watching or what books is he reading? Um, I think it's important as parents for us to remember how important representation is. Mm -hmm. And we talked about Black Panther as one example of how a representation of a lead character being a Black man and how powerful that was. Or when you talked about young girls taking up archery after watching lead Uh, female characters that they were inspired by. I think as a mother, I'm more conscious about what am I exposing or what representation does my son see in all of the ways that he's interacting with the outside world, whether that's media or through books or through groups that he's hanging out with or his, his play dates, all of that. I think about representation and how important that is. And it it directly ties to stereotypes and norms and the messages that our children are receiving. And, And people, I've heard people say, well, my child's too young for me to talk about race with them. And I like to share these statistics because while we think that we control so much of what our children are learning, that's just not the case. Research has shown that three month old babies prefer faces from certain racial groups Nine-month-olds use race to categorize faces. Three-year-old children in the U.S. associate some racial groups with negative traits. And by age four, four years old, children in the United States associate being white with wealth and higher status. Mm -hmm. So race-based discrimination is already widely ingrained before children even start elementary school. Exactly, Jess. And this is why platitudes and statements like everyone is created equal or this colorblind mentality just doesn't work to fight bias. We can expose our kids to age-appropriate race education from a very early age, and that data that you showed just reinforces the importance of that. Um, Because whether we like it or not, children are being educated about race from birth. So we need to add our voices as parents to that narrative. And one way we can do that is just simply by the books, Mm -hmm. Um, by making sure that the books our children are reading are representative of a myriad of skin colors and even having books that talk about race, of course, age appropriate. And there's so many books out there, especially nowadays, to choose from. And we're going to add a list of those books in the show notes. Oh, that's so great. I love that. 
All right. So as we think about today's conversation, and I find myself coming back to our conversations about the small things, and as you say, Brie, planting the seeds. Mm. Education about racial experiences doesn't have to be this big, long, serious discussion at the dinner table that as parents, we have to, you know, spend weeks preparing for. Right. (laughs) They can be as simple as reading a book that has a Black character or has Black names that are steeped in Black heritage. These themes of inclusivity in spaces where we see underrepresentation can be corrected intentionally by us as parents just by doing some small things. Yes. And of course, we need those big dinner table conversations. Those mm-hmm. are our, those are our John Lewis moments, right? We can cross bridges together. But we can also find joy in the five-minute bedtime story and model what a Chadwick Boseman did, a quiet legacy where he's behind the scenes renegotiating his contract to make sure that a female co-star is receiving the same pay. Yes. And so I I think that as parents, sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and I don't know that it's necessary. I truly believe that these small things and by being intentional about representation and honoring legacies of people that have fought before us, that can be enough. Yes, I totally agree. And I'd say reflecting back on John Lewis and Chadwick Boseman, they both had a little bit of their own good trouble. Hmm. I love that. (laughs) Thank you, Brie. Taking the time today to reflect on these two men and the legacies they leave makes me incredibly hopeful. And that always feels like good news. Thanks again for sharing this brave space with me today. Thank you, Jess. We are learning so much from others that in each episode, we want to feature a thought leader or resource that is impactful to us. This week, we celebrate a short film that will bring both a smile to your face and potentially a tear to your eye. Hair Love is an Oscar-winning animated short film by Matthew Cherry, and it tells the heartfelt story of an African-American father learning to do his daughter's hair for the very first time. You can watch it in, on many different platforms. I actually found it on YouTube, and so we'll share a link in our show notes. After listening to this episode, we'd like to leave you with a challenge. Take a look at your bookshelf or your watch list on your favorite streaming channels. Do you have representation on your bookshelf? Do you have diversity in ability, LGBTQIA+, skin color in the movies and shows on your watch list? With the holidays coming up, or maybe even a birthday, or maybe just because, try to intentionally find bookstores or online bookstores that are representative of people of color and add a little bit more representation to your bookshelf or take a look at that watch list and see if you can add more representation there. As we embark on this journey of unlearning, we are so thankful that you're here. We are excited to continue unpacking this conversation around race equity and intersectionality together. Stay connected with us. Visit our website at lunchandunlearn.com and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram at lunchandunlearn and Facebook at Lunch and Unlearn. We hope you'll grab lunch with us again and join us for more brave conversations next time.